Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. We're so thankful for this time that we can be together, that we can fellowship uh, with one another and worship you together, Lord, and study your word and just draw closer to you. And so we just thank you for this time uh, of fellowship, Lord, and, and community. And, uh, and Lord, I just, uh, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us as we worship you today uh, and that we would just continue to draw near to you during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we stand with me. That the highest king would welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free.
there's a place for me I'm a child of God yes I am
Father, we just come again uh, to you today, and we just thank you for this time that we can worship you. We thank you for this time uh, that we can study your word and just draw closer to your heart, Lord. I just uh, I just pray over the kids that will be in Kids City this morning, that your heart, that your spirit would be with them as well, Lord, as they as they study and worship you as well, Lord. And we just thank you again for this time that we can be together. And I just lift up this church, I lift up this community to you, 
Lord God, that uh, that we as believers could uh, just be shining lights, salt and light in this world, in the surrounding community, and those around us, Lord, that we could just bring glory to you and honor you in all that we do and all that we say. And again, we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, if you have any kids that would like to go to Kids City, now is the time to send them there. And we'll begin momentarily. Everyone is so quiet this morning. <laughs> it's the sound of Michigan State fans after the game last night or yesterday. <laughs> I think I turned it off at halftime. It was uh, it was looking bad, but uh, hey, you know, <laughs> pride comes before the fall, and uh, so <laughs> uh, this year was Michigan's turn. So uh, um, yeah, we'll give it to you, I guess, this time. <laughs> We don't have a choice. Uh, I say we because I'm a Michigan State fan. So you guys are like, why are we coming to this church if the pastor's a Michigan State fan? It makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> if that's wrong, then what? You know, <laughs> maybe his theology's off too. Who knows? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we're gonna get going here into uh, Amos chapter six. I'll give you guys a moment to turn there before we uh, dig into God's word. Um, just want to welcome you guys uh, to City on a Hill Community Church and. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed, we've been going through the uh, books of the Minor Prophets. We haven't necessarily gone through them in order, uh, but we've gone through the book of Jonah, the book of Obadiah, book of Joel, and now we're in the uh, midst of the book of Amos. Uh, so we have a few more chapters left in the book of Amos, uh, but they have been uh, challenging. They have been uh, uh, just a good place to look as a reminder uh, of the righteousness of God. Uh, you see a lot of judgment that is called upon uh, the Israelites throughout the minor prophets. But uh, in the midst of that, too, you also see God's grace, God's uh, patience, and his mercy and his love upon his people as well. Uh, in the midst of their uh, idolatry, in the midst of their sin, and their adulterous living. Uh, and so, as we begin, it's important to remember that the ministry of a prophet uh, was very difficult. You know, if you can imagine uh, being informed by the Lord of something devastating that's about to take place among your people, you know, and, and God would share this message of uh, a coming destruction, a coming day of judgment, a coming day of exile, and many times uh, among your people. Amos, for example, is told that the nation, uh, that, that an enemy would come in and carry away the nation of Israel into captivity. And then you have this message that has been given to you, and now you have to give that information that was presented to you by the Lord to the people that are going to be judged. Uh, and so you are tasked with warning the nation of what is coming. And then you imagine, too, that after all your pleading and all your preaching, it really seemed to make no difference at all. And time and time again, prophet after prophet, the nation of Israel continued to ignore the warnings, continued to ignore uh, the invitations of the Lord uh, to come back to him. And, uh, 
And so instead of listening to the prophets, the people of Israel despised them. And instead of repenting and turning to God, that they rebelled uh, even more deliberately against God's word. And, and sometimes they'd even turn on the prophets themselves, imprisoning them or putting them to death for the words that they had. Nevertheless, a prophet still had a job to do regardless of the potential backlash. Right? They were called to do something and they were to be obedient to the Lord. Jeremiah, for example, got to a place in his prophetic ministry where he didn't even want to talk about it anymore. He says, I'm done, Lord. I don't want to talk to these people anymore. They're not listening. They fail to take instruction uh, positively. They are, they are attacking me. Um, you know, and, and he was called the weeping prophet for a reason because of 40 years of ministry, not one was converted uh, during his time. I can imagine uh, that would be cause for weeping. But regardless, Jeremiah ultimately says, But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And he had to speak the word of the Lord. He couldn't. Even though he didn't want to, uh, deep down he had to. He had to bring forth the word of the Lord to the people. And I'm sure there was times when Amos felt this way too because at this point in his prophecies we're going to see in chapter 6 uh, the nation felt very secure uh, in themselves. For the moment they were still prospering financially. Uh, they were prospering agriculturally. They were prospering uh, with their military. They were very strong militarily. Uh, and they were worshipping the idols of the golden calves which were set up in the cities of Bethel, Gilgal, and Dan. So that they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem as God had commanded them. God had commanded them to worship in Jerusalem and Jerusalem alone, but they didn't want to make the trip, so they would set up these other places of worship, and they would place the golden calf there during that time. Uh, and they also claimed that during their time of worship of the golden calf, that they were actually worshiping the true God. They were saying that this is just a, an image that we have made to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. But God has commanded them clearly not to make um, images, false images of him uh, in their worship. So they were they claimed to be worshiping in a different way, as it were, but they were really worshiping idols. And what the people failed to realize is that the Lord was being patient with them this whole time. He was being long-suffering in order that they would, in hopes that they would repent and turn to him. But instead of repenting of sin, they became indifferent and they became unresponsive. If we recall back to last week in chapter 5, God three times calls to the nation of Israel to seek the Lord and live. He says, seek him and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil and live. Multiple times he says this to them. And in his calling out to them is the promise that if they turn from their sin, he's going to relent from their coming uh, destruction. If they turn from their false gods, if they turn from their oppression of the poor, that God will relent. But still, the Israelites were going to Bethel, Gilgal, Dan, Beersheba, all these places to worship their false gods rather than seeking the Lord. And God is telling them all this time to stop doing what you're doing, come back to me, repent, turn to me and live. But Israel's heart was bound up in the things of this world, and so they were held captive to the world. And then God was freedom and salvation, but they continually and consistently turned their back on the Lord. However, at the end of Amos chapter 5, it tells us that they still celebrated uh, their yearly feasts um, in the presence of the Lord. And they came to the temple, they'd bring forth their sacrifices and their offerings, and they lived this double standard life, uh, this double standard relationship with the Lord, right? They came to these feasts and assemblies, these banquets, these great gatherings, and would present what they had to offer to the Lord and pretend like everything was fine, everything was good, that their relationship with the Lord was strong. 
But in reality, they were uncommitted and they were adulterous in their relationship with the God, with God, and it was unacceptable. And so this is what the Lord says to them at the end of Amos chapter 5. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so it's very clear from this statement of the, from the Lord that he does not want a partially committed heart to him. He was looking for a full, fully committed heart. He doesn't want partially committed hearts from us as well. There's a lesson for us to glean from this this morning. And in fact, it says he won't even listen to their worship because he's so disgusted with their idolatry and partial commitment to him and, that the, and the partial commitment of the covenant they made with the Lord. It was all show and pretense, right? Everything they were doing was acting as if everything was fine, but in reality, they were, they were far from the Lord. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, the Pharisees where the Lord said, uh, they worship me with their, their lips and their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. And that was how the people of Israel were at this time when they would come to these feasts and these assemblies. And so it's important for us to remember that he's not content, the Lord is not content with half of our hearts. He wants all of our hearts and he deserves all of our hearts. In fact, he deserves more than all of our hearts, but that's all we have to offer him. And that's what he deserves from us. Full commitment. So it's important to understand, guys, that God wants our praises. He wants our worship. He wants those things. Even though he says here, I don't want them, it's because their hearts were partially committed to him. He wants a full heart committed and praising him and worshiping and, and being obedient in this covenant relationship. But again, sadly, the Israelites were indifferent, and their indifference led to indulgence, as we're going to see today. And they made the mistake of thinking that because they were favored, the favored chosen people of God, that regardless of actions, of their actions, that they would not suffer any consequences. So we're going to begin again in chapter 6 of Amos, verse 1, as the prophet declares a woe to the prideful. And so we're going to begin the oracles of Amos here in chapter 6. Oracles are are simply commands uh, or revelations from God. Uh, So Amos chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. So right off the bat, Amos begins by addressing the notable people of the nation, it says. It would be the well-known, the famous, if you will, of their time, the wealthy, the affluent, the influential. And he says, Woe to you, Woe to you who are at ease. It's a very important statement here that is made, and we're going to talk about that. See, he's not talking about people who are resting, right, or in relaxation, not the people that are just laid back and enjoying what they have. It's not, that's not what ease means here. Um, the, the word ease in the Hebrew is defined as careless and arrogant. So he's saying woe to the arrogance. They felt secure in what they had. They they weren't giving any thought to being right with God. They were comfortable in where they were at as a nation. They were comfortable with with where they were militarily, uh, in their prosperity, their wealth, uh, everything that seemed to be going right. And so they were comfortable in that. And uh, they began to take pride in that, believing that they themselves were providing their own security. They felt as if they were untouchable. And so they continued to live in opposition to God. They had what was called a false sense of, 
of security. It tells us that they were secure on the mountain of Samaria, so they were secure in their location. They were secure in their affluence. And scripture says, if you recall in the Psalms, chapter 20, it says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord our God, right? So the problem, though, with the nation of Israel right now is they weren't trusting in the Lord their God. They were trusting in other things. And that's a tendency that we can have is to trust in things of the flesh instead of the power of the Spirit. Right? We can begin to trust in ourselves over the Lord. So in hopes of awaking a, a nation that is spiritually asleep, Amos points to other nations in verse 2 that have already suffered the consequences of the same behavior. He says, Pass over to Calne and see, or, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? Now, Calne was, was an area in northern Syria. Hamath, the Great, as it's called here, was located uh, north of the Lebanese mountains. Uh, both of these had been destroyed and were held captive at the time by the nation of Assyria. Does that sound familiar? If you recall back a couple of chapters in Amos, Assyria was the nation that was um, prophesied to bring destruction upon the nation of Israel. Uh, very cruel nation. Very, uh, pe- pe- a lot of people feared them for their um, brutality. Uh, but the prophet is essentially asking the people this question. He says, do you think you're better than them? Do you think you're better than Calne, Hamath the Great, um, uh, Gath of the Philistines? Do you think you're better than them? Do you think that what happened to them is never going to happen to you? Uh, and these cities, uh, these were um, good-sized cities. They were well off. They were pretty affluent as well, pretty successful cities. Uh, but they had also been doing similar things with the Israelites. They were worshiping false gods, living in sin, um, and the Lord judged them for it. So the point of this being that Israel should not have thought of themselves better than any of the other nations. See, they falsely assumed that their military might and their wealth and their prosperity would protect them. But they failed to realize or recognize that nothing can protect you from the Lord's judgment. Right? They, they, they found security themselves, but the Lord can overcome any of those false securities. So they assumed that since they were God's chosen people, right, that they were untouchable. You know, we were the people, we are the children of God, you know. And so they had this mindset, this idea that they could live and, and do whatever they wanted without repercussions because they were favored by the Lord. But it's important to remember in Revelation, Jesus says, those whom I love, he's, he's what? He says, I reprove and discipline. And that's what the nation of Israel is going to face right here is discipline from the Lord. But the nation of Israel did not think that they would. They thought they were better than other nations. And they didn't think judgment would happen to them. And so Amos wanted the people to look at the example of others lest they make the same mistake. Rather than repeat the same mistake and suffer the same consequences, he wanted, wanted them to learn from these other cities. He said, look at Calne, right? Look at Hamath the Great. Look at Gath. All these places uh, were affluent. They were doing well. They were powerful militarily. And they fell to the hands of the Assyrians. Don't think it's going to happen. It won't happen to you if you don't turn from your sin. And so there's a lesson for us here this morning. Is that If you're living in sin, you are not exempt from God's righteous judgment. Right? Do not assume that you are safe or highly favored and therefore can live however you wish to live. Right? As, as believers, we're called to live in righteousness. We're called to live is the example that Jesus has given us above reproof, above the world, as it were. So we can't assume that we are highly favored and safe from the Lord's judgment. 
We've talked about on several occasions during the sermon series the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, right? There's the, the physical law of sowing and reaping. You know, you, you sow an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree, right? If you cultivate it and take care of it, and you're not going to get, uh, you know, you're not going to get potatoes or carrots out of that. You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow, as it were. And there's a, it's the same law. It's a very simple law to understand, but in spiritual terms, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the rewards or the destruction of the flesh, right? And you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap that, the rewards of the Spirit, so the Israelites lived with this assumption that they were untouchable. Essentially, they believed that if they could sow to the flesh, they would continue to reap the benefits of the Spirit, but that's not the case. They lived with a false sense of security in themselves. And so the question for us this morning is, have you placed your, where have you placed your security this morning? Where, what do you place your security in? Is it in the things of this world? Perhaps it's your job, your wealth, uh, the things that you have obtained. Perhaps it's even your family that you've placed your security in. And what is it that you stand upon and find your security in? And guys, if it isn't the Lord, then you're placing your security in something that, that cannot make you secure. It may make you feel secure, but it will not make you secure if you're placing your security in something that is not the Lord. So the people of Israel were at ease, it says, and they were living carelessly, they were living arrogantly, uh, because of this false sense of security that they had placed in their military, they placed in themselves, thinking uh, that they had essentially made for themselves what they had. And when you live with a false sense of security, I can promise you it's a dangerous place to be living. When you put your security in something that is not the Lord, it's a very dangerous place to live. So when we begin to put ourselves on a pedestal, right, acclaiming our success to our own initiative, we put our security in the wrong place. We put it in ourselves. And there's a problem with that, right? We're guaranteed at some point to let ourselves down, right? Or, or anybody else for that matter. If you're putting your security in another person, they're guaranteed to let you down at some point in time. No matter how great they are of a person, and as unintentional as it may be, they will let you down. It's just, unfortunately, we are fallen human beings. And so when you place your security in fallen human beings, there's going to be a time of failure, You're imperfect, and when you place your security on something that is imperfect, it's going to fail at some point. But God, on the other hand, is perfect, right? And God will never let us down. In fact, he never has. He's proven time and time again that he is faithful to, to his word, to his promises. We can find security in his word, in his promises. And so we must live with the mind mindset of the psalmist. Again, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Right? We have to live with that kind of mindset. You know, some may, may trust in the security of their of their uh, their job. Some may trust in the security of their family or their parents or whatever it may be. But we're going to trust in the Lord our God. We're going to put our trust and we find our security in the Lord. But as we see, the nation of Israel did not live with this mindset, and that's why Amos continues here in verse three. He says, "Oh, you." who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, 
Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. So here Amos describing the lifestyle, or the heart, if you would, of the nation of Israel. It says they're lying on ivory couches. It sounds incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly expensive at the same time um, to lay on ivory. I hope they had some padding underneath it. Anyway, they're, living on, they're, they're laying down on these ivory couches. They're laying around. And it says they're drinking wine, but not just drinking wine. They're drinking it from bowls. Right? So, you know, can you imagine? Pass me another bowl of wine, will you? You know, that's how they're living. They're living in this, this comfort, luxury. Um, they're, they're given over to drunkenness. And uh, so they're not living with, uh, with any sort of urgency, as it were. So they're given over to drunkenness. And, and due to their false sense of security, there's no immediacy in their actions. It even says that they put far off the day of their impending doom. Right? So they're, they're hearing these words from Amos. They're hearing from, from the Lord himself. They're saying, you know, yeah, you know, maybe that's coming, but it's not coming for us. You know, we're, we're in a good place right now. We're secure. We have a strong military. We're going to be fine. You know, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the next generation worry about the issue. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. So they had this false sense of security, no immediacy in their actions. They assumed it wasn't going to happen to them. And this is the mindset and lifestyle that they lived with. It says that they ate meat all the time, which is, you know, to us, we're like, why? What's wrong? What's wrong with that? Um, but it was really unusual and, and very, uh, very unusual for this particular time and in this culture. Uh, but because of their prosperity, they had an abundance of meat, and so they indulged in it uh, and what they had. And it says that they sang idle songs, they invented instruments of music. Um, these aspects. Um, these things would have been aspects of worship had their hearts been in the right place, right? So, but, but their hearts were far from the Lord, and so they became sinful. You know, we look at that and say, what's wrong with, with creating uh, songs, or what's wrong with, with, uh, with creating instruments? Uh, but it says that they created instruments for what? This is for themselves, instruments of music. So these things were, were selfish intentions. Uh, they were not worshiping the Lord. They were just singing songs of, it says idol songs. It could have been anything but the Lord. It could have been to other gods, perhaps. It could have been uh, to their own affluence, their own the prosperity. Um, nevertheless, it was not to the Lord. Uh, and so it was a sin. And Amos is warning them that the Assyrians are coming, that this day is much closer than they thought, but they continue to live at such ease that they begin to grow carnal and sinful in their pursuits. And you can really see a progression take place, right? It starts with rejecting the Lord, uh, there's an addiction to wine, and then worshiping other gods, this denial to change. And now they're putting off the day of the Lord, as assuming as if it's not coming anytime soon uh, for them, that their, their day of destruction is not near. There's also this lack of preparation that is found in the New Testament as well. You remember the Bible warns about watching and being ready. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable of what's called the ten virgins. And, and, and there were those, there were five that were ready and five who were not ready. There was five who procrastinated and they were not ready and so they missed out in comparison to those who were prepared with their oil uh, for their lamps and they did not miss out. And so it teaches us the importance of watching and praying, not procrastinating, being ready, being alert, being aware of the coming of the Lord. Now here in Amos' day, they're so caught up in the material things that they didn't see their need for God. Okay, and that's a very important thing for us to understand this morning, especially uh, in our culture in America. <laughs> 
lot of us can tend to not feel a need for God, right? We're comfortable in what we have. You know, we do pretty well. Sometimes we have to live paycheck to paycheck, but there's really no cause for concern. You know, typically we are able to afford uh, gifts during the holidays. You know, we have running water. We have heat. um, You know, we don't have to worry about the next meal. We're, We're... so we prosper in those ways, and so a lot of times we, there's that lack of an understanding of our need for God. And so there's a warning for us here as well. They didn't see their need to depend on the Lord, the nation of Israel. They didn't see their need to look and rely upon the power of God in their life. And we have to be very careful that we don't find ourselves in the same boat as the Israelites in the book of Amos this morning. You know, it is interesting um, when you hear about all these miracles that happen in other places, right? All over the world, these third world countries. And, you know, you hear, well, these are amazing things that are happening. These are supernatural events that are taking place. These are, without a doubt, miracles uh, that that people are witnessing. And you wonder, you know, why is it taking place over there? Why is it not happening here uh, where we are? It's because we have, it's because we have too much to be dependent on God. I think that's simply the answer. We have too much in our lives to really be fully dependent on God. Sure, here and there, you know, we'll we'll kind of lean on Him for strength or we'll throw this at Him because it's super difficult in our own life, but we don't become fully dependent on Him for everything, right? And so so there's just this, we we just have too much in our own lives to be dependent on the Lord the way He desires us to be dependent on Him. But you go to some of these other places, right, and they don't have anything but God to depend on. And God is working powerfully in and through their lives. What made this worse uh, is in verses 6 and 7. It says that, it says, But you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And sadly, these people were not grieved by their actions, right? And in and, and the Sermon on the Mount, God says, or Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's speaking of their sin. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, for they shall be comforted. These people did not grieve anything that they were doing. They were just living comfortably. They lived however they wanted to live. And they had no regrets. They didn't feel any grieving of of turning from the Lord. Almost as if it didn't matter to them. They'd already crossed the line with God and and seemed to be doing well. So what's the harm, essentially, right? We seem to be prospering. Why does it matter that we turn back to Him now? Here's the thing, though. When When you sin repeatedly without conviction... You find yourself in a very, very dangerous place. When you sin time and time again and have no conviction for what you're doing, it's a very dangerous place to be. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, The Lord has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor, or strongly hate, the pride of Jacob. I hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And so the Lord says, I hate their pride and their palaces. In other words, they live as if God doesn't even exist. Right? They're doing fine without him. They don't need him. He's not even, he's not even there. They continue to seek the desires of the flesh. They're living within themselves, completely turning away from God and his commands. And as the Lord continues in verse 9, it says, And if ten remain in one house, they shall die. And one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him, Who is in the innermost parts of the house? Is there anyone still with you? And he shall say, No. And he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Now I want to 
pause here and, and, and point something out for us this morning that's very important for us to understand. That death was the result of their sin. Very clearly, death is the result of the nation of Israel's sin. And death is the result of sin all the time. It always is. If you look at Romans 6.23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is what? Wages of sin is death. Their deaths were a byproduct of their sin. Death is always a byproduct of sin. Speaking of reaping of what you sow, you sow sin, you reap death. It's very clear in Scripture. That's how it works. The Israelites' pride, their false sense of security, their idleness, their arrogance, their attitude of ease, as it were, was the reason for their downfall. Death and destruction was ultimately brought upon them by their own hand. Yes, the Lord carried out this plan and carried out his judgment, but it was because they continually lived in sin. He gave them time and time again opportunity to turn, to repent, to seek the Lord and live, as he said in in chapter 5. But they continued to deny that, and so the wages of sin is death. And I don't know if there can be any way to state that any more clear. Uh, I think it's a very simple... (laughs) way to to, to explain that. The wages of sin is death. Sin leads to eternal separation from God. And that's what it's speaking of. Not necessarily physical death, but a spiritual death. An eternal separation from the Lord. From the fall of man in the Garden of Eden to present time, every human being is faced with this very sobering truth. The wages of sin is death. There's nothing you or I can do about that. We can have a false sense of security in ourselves, right? believing that we can somehow obtain or earn our salvation, that we can somehow make amends with God, make things right. Uh, you know, I know I've messed up, Lord, but you know, I've done this, this, and this. Uh, does that merit, you know, um, am, am I good with you now? Have we, have we uh, cleared the, the debt, as it were? We can't do that. And for some reason, we can try to think to ourselves, you know, we've been a pretty good person. We've done this, this, and this. I think I've merited my uh, security, but that's not how it works. You know, when we can compare ourselves to others around us, we know when we deem ourselves pretty good people in light of what we see around us. But we must remember that our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord, as Scripture tells us. So no matter how good we are, you know, no matter how righteous you see, you see yourself as, you compare that to the Lord and it's but filthy rags before Him. And so I don't think that Israel ever thought that they were drinking, when they were drinking from their bowls of wine and lying on their couches of ivory, when they were involved with immorality in the form of their worship and idolatry, that the result would be death and destruction. Their response to it certainly doesn't seem like they thought it was happening anytime soon or happening to them, that they were going to face judgment for their sin. But the thing is, that's the deceptive nature of sin, right? That's the deceptive nature of sin, is that we never think it's going to lead to that, and yet it does, right? Well, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, you know, I haven't, it hasn't, I haven't seen any judgment for how I'm living, it's going to be fine, but at some point, it's going to lead to that. As he continues in verse 12, it says, Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Some might say hemlock. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, We have not, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you uh, from Lebo Hamath. 
to the brook of the Arabah. So the Lord says in light of Israel's arrogance, in light of their indulgence, in light of their indifference, that death would follow and judgment would come. And they continually continually ignored the warnings of the prophets. They continually declined the invitations of the Lord to return. They rested in the strength of themselves rather than resting in the strength of the Lord. And so they ultimately had a false sense of security which led to their destruction. The thing is, these warnings in Scripture are a wonderful eye-opener for us, right? They're a wonderful way for us to, to learn from the mistakes of others that we don't have to make the same mistakes. That what happened to Israel doesn't have to happen to you and me. So if you've placed your security in yourself, if you've placed your security in, in your prosperity, in the things of this world, you have a false sense of security. But we can respond to the invitation of the Lord to seek Him and live. There's that invitation, seek me and live. And we, we can respond to that unlike the nation of Israel. And so as we close this morning, uh, it's important to remember that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a visual example of God's grace poured out on an undeserving people. And yes, even though you'll find out later that this nation was taken captive by the nation of Assyria, even though they suffered through pain and death, God promised and did bring them up out of the ashes and restored them only by His love and grace. This was an undeserving nation. They deserved to be wiped out, as it were. But God loved them so much that he he continually brought them back to himself and restored them. Incredible. And he's done the same through us, through the cross of Jesus Christ. So you see in the Old Testament, uh, is represented by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And again, we're going to look at Romans 6.23, right? It says, the wages of sin is death. And just because we feel secure in ourselves does not make it so. Right, left on our own, no matter how affluent we are, no matter how well off we are, no matter how prosperous we are, we cannot find our security there. Right? You may feel secure in it, but you're not going to find true security there. None of that leads to security in terms of the eternal. Right? On our own, we know that we are without hope. Right? On our own, we're left to death. The, the wages of sin is death. We have no hope in that. But by the, only by the incredible and sheer grace of God does Romans 6.23 continue. It doesn't conclude with that statement, the wages of sin is death. It continues by saying, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Such an incredible verse. I mean, it really just paints the entire gospel in, in one simple sentence, if, if you could do that. He does it, he does it there. But it's the same message that Amos relayed to the nation of Israel in chapter 5, right? He said, seek the Lord and live. Three times, seek the Lord and live. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the thing, it's a free gift, right? There's nothing we can do, no merit we can earn, no gold stars that we can obtain and show God when we get to heaven. Hey, look, I got my ten gold stars, I made it to heaven. There's nothing we can do on our own accord. There's no security we can find in ourselves or in our affluence or in our wealth or prosperity or our actions. Nothing we do can provide that security. Nothing we do can provide that hope. Only, only Jesus provides that hope and that security. And so we can learn from the nation of Israel, right? They continually declined these invitations to return to the Lord. They continually declined uh, to heed the warnings of the prophets time and again. 
They turned aside the warnings of God. They could decline the invitation to come back and avoid their destruction. They continued to live and dwell in sin. And we see the results, right? The result of that was death uh, by the judgment of the Lord, by the hands of the Assyrians and captivity. They're held captive to the world, as it were. And for us, there's a similar exhortation this morning, right? Place your faith in Jesus and live, right? Place your faith in the Lord and live. We are promised security there. And through the love and mercy and grace of the Lord, we can now live in hope, right? And the thing about spiritual hope is so incredible. It, it goes far beyond what we, you know, the term hope in our American dictionary, as it were, right? When we hope for something, you know, it's kind of an unknown. I hope that this happens, but I don't know if it will. Eternal hope is, I know it's going to happen, and so my hope is there. There's a complete faith and security there. We can live with that security and that hope. And so God is calling us out of sin and darkness to live with Him in hope and security. And I look at the book of Amos, and especially chapter 6, and I fear there's a lot of similarities with America as there was with the nation of Israel. Right? Especially during this time of affluence, prosperity, comfortability. Uh, there was, they, didn't have, they didn't feel like they needed to rely on the Lord because they were doing fine for themselves, as it were. And so there was a, a falling away from God. There was a lack of faith in the process. When things got hard, you remember in chapter 5 it even talks about um, facing some plagues of, of famine and, and no rain. And they continually turned to the things of the world, right? They turned to the gods of, of Baal. Uh, they thought that he would bring the rain for them. They, they just completely ignored God altogether the very God that brought them out of Egypt, the very God that, that protected them in the wilderness and guided them for 40 years, brought them to the land of, that he promised them, flowing with milk and honey. He, he, he's the one that brought all their prosperity, all their blessing, uh, all their, where they were living comfortably, but they completely turned their back on him time and again to the point where God tries to wake them up from their spiritual slumber, saying, look, this is going to happen. It's going to be bad. Turn to me and live. And they said, ah, we're fine. <laughs> we're good. We're, look at what we're doing right now, God. We've got a strong military. Uh, you know, we're, we're laying on ivory couches. We have all the wine we want. You know, we can eat meat whenever we feel like it. We're doing pretty well for ourselves. I think we're good. So they lived with this, just this mindset that they were their own security blanket, as it were. That they had everything under control. And so there's a, there's a warning here for us this morning we're at a point still where I believe that we can turn to the Lord and live. You know, of course individually and collectively as a church, but also nationally uh, as a a nation. I think there's still hope there. We just have to pray for that revival, as it were. And so I just, uh, I hope that this morning you find um, some encouragement. I know that you, when we go through the, the minor prophets, you see a lot of death, destruction, judgment, raining down from the Lord. Um, and it can be easy to think, well, that's, that's kind of harsh. But in reality, it's not harsh at all. Uh, and in reality, we see his grace and his mercy time and again, seeking to draw these people back to him before the destruction comes. But we can take this lesson from the Israelites and apply it to our own lives and, and avoid this, <laughs> as it were. And that's my hope and my prayer for all of us this morning. Um, I want us to partake in communion. Um, communion is just a wonderful 
time for us to recall uh, all the Lord has done for us, right? It can be so easy to forget. You can, again, like the, like the Israelites, you can be comfortable in where you're at and think you're well off and then doing just fine. But communion allows us to kind of make our hearts right before the Lord once more, to remember our need for the Lord and what he has done so that we may have that hope for eternity. Um, and so as we partake in communion, um, we don't, you don't have to be a member or anything like that of the church. Uh, all we ask is that you have placed your faith in the Lord. Communion is a time for believers to commune with their Savior. Uh, and so as long as you have made that, that faith commitment to the Lord, you are welcome to partake in communion uh, with us this morning. Uh, I'll be playing a song, and um, I just encourage you, as we do communion here, it might be a little different than some are used to or done in other other churches, but um, you just come up, and you take the bread, and you take the cup. Uh, you're welcome to take it right there at the altar, or you can take it back to your seat um, and, and have it there. Uh, but take this very seriously. Okay, this is a, you know, this doesn't make you saved or anything like that, but it is a time for us to recognize and remember what the Lord has done for us. Um, and perhaps if you're living uh, in security in yourself this morning, this is a time for you to seek the Lord and live, as it were, uh, and to draw back to Him and place your security there. Um, but I'll begin the song here momentarily um, as, we, as we take communion.
spring has arrived. The winter has passed and the spring has arrived. The winter has passed and the spring has arrived. The winter has passed and the spring has arrived. Winter has passed and the spring has arrived. Winter has passed and the spring has arrived. Here I am.